Don't say gay in schools. Going after so-called woke policies in the workplace. Abortion. Redrawing political boundaries. The likely legal challenges coming for some new Florida laws. This is the Florida Roundup from WLRN Public Media in Miami and WJCT Public Media in Jacksonville. I'm Tom Hudson. My co-host Melissa Ross is off this week. Florida's Republican-controlled legislature passed a series of bills it says are about individual freedoms. Several of them are destined to be challenged in court. Meantime, how will they be implemented? What does it mean for classrooms, for companies, for voting? Join us on this edition of the Florida Roundup Statewide with your phone calls, 305-995-1800. Republican, Democrat, Independent, doesn't matter. Same phone number for everybody, 305-995-1800. Welcome to the Florida Roundup here on Florida Public Radio. Thanks for supporting public broadcasting in your community. I'm Tom Hudson in Miami. My co-host, Melissa Ross, is off this week. It took one extra day for state lawmakers to do the one thing that they have to do each year, pass a state budget. In the previous 60 days of the law-writing session this year, they were busy with a number of other items focusing on Governor Ron DeSantis' legislative social agenda. There's the new bill that bans classroom instructions on gender identity and sexual orientation if it's not considered what the legislation calls age-appropriate. There's a bill that regulates how race-related subjects are taught in public schools. It bans classroom lessons that instruct a student to feel anguish or guilt for something in the past. The same bill applies to employee training programs at companies in Florida. Another bill gives parents more control of what books are in schools. Now, Republican supporters have framed these issues around boosting individual freedoms. Opponents criticize them as unnecessary, uncivil, and perhaps unconstitutional. So what do you think of the work lawmakers did on your behalf over the past two months? How will these bills and others impact you? Will these issues shape your vote later on in this election year? 305-995-1800. 305-995-1800. That is the phone number for Democrats, for Republicans, for NPAs. Doesn't matter your political affiliation, your registration. Same phone number for everyone here in Florida. 305-995-1800. We want to hear from you. You can also send us a tweet at Florida Roundup. Mary Ellen Kloss is with us, the Miami Herald Capitol Bureau Chief, longtime legislative reporter. Mary Ellen, thanks for joining us again as we kind of wrap up what has been uh, uh, both a fast and a slow 63 days of law writing in Tallahassee. How successful was the governor's agenda in finding advocates in the legislature? Well, it was. It, it's good to be here, Tom. Thank you very much. Um, and I, I think the governor was enormously successful. Um, You know, one of the things he identified uh, very early is that this was a year where people were very frustrated, especially parents were very frustrated with the fact that the the restrictions imposed by school boards during the COVID pandemic really made it difficult for them to feel as if their kids were getting the best education. So they, they found a way to sort of frame a lot of these uh, culture war issues as parental rights issues. And as a result, um, that sort of made it a, a, a narrative and a talking point that 
legislators, particularly certainly the Republican legislators, um, embraced pretty heartily. So it, it wasn't difficult at all for him to get Republicans um, to side with him. And um, one of the things that we, we have found always happens is that the governor is out there, goes out there on a limb with an idea. Uh, the idea often has many components that are unworkable, but the legislature then just shaves it down into something that, that is more palatable for them. And it's passed and they all claim victory. Yeah. Uh, let me bring Gary Fine out into our conversation, Mary Ellen. Gary, a longtime Capitol reporter as well in Tallahassee, longtime colleague and journalist here in Florida, writes with Politico now. Gary, what do you think attracted the Republican lawmakers to the governor's agenda in, in such a way? Well, I think it's important to note that there were a couple elements of the agenda that were sort of already on their radar screen that they were sort of interested in. But, uh, you know, the, the plain fact is, is that if you put it together from a 30,000 foot viewpoint, is that this is an indication that the legislature and the governor are fairly confident about where things are trending in the state and in the 2022 elections. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so the issue is, is this about building the framework and an agenda and a record that is going to play well in 2024? Now, I know the governor has repeatedly said he's only focused on 2022, but the if you look at everything and put it together, it clearly has gotten a lot of national attention. And it's just helped add to the, you know, to the ascension of Ron DeSantis as a top tier contender for the presidency, uh, you know, provided that uh, former President Trump does not run. Yeah. How did the framing, Gary, of this agenda around individual freedom and parents' rights, you think, impact the legislative journey that these uh, uh, these initiatives found over the last couple of months? Well, I. I think it's important for your for your for listeners to to sort of understand is that uh, normally and maybe that's the wrong word I shouldn't say normally I should say usually the word that I should use is that election year sessions are focused on you know running up the wins and getting stuff to campaign on mm -hmm. and a lot of times there's not a lot of contentiousness that's done in in the election year sessions that usually kind of comes the year right after an election. You'll, you'll see a long list of things that people want to do and, and, and carry out and things of that nature. This was completely different. This was a lot of energy and a lot of time spent on on these issues that are are important to the Republican base, very much so. Um, but then other things that the legislature is supposed to do, and, and, and I'm sure we can get into that, uh, didn't make it and yeah. didn't get done. And so... <laughs> It, 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 because the fact of the matter is, is that it's a 60 day session. It's very highly condensed. It's packed in. Yeah. And there's only so much that can be accomplished, especially when you're taking a lot of time on this other stuff. Yeah. Let's in fact, to that issue, let's go straight to uh, Joshua listening in St. Pete. Uh, Joshua, thanks for calling. You're on the Florida Roundup. Go ahead. Uh, well, thank you for having me. Uh, yeah, I've been it was frustrating to watch because uh, as a homeowner here in St. Petersburg, we've seen our property taxes uh, rise dramatically. And it's part of the reason why the rent uh, prices have went up so much. Um, and it, it did nothing about it. They just did these uh, peripheral cultural warfare uh, problems. And Joshua, let me just ask for a clarification. Property taxes or property I'm insurance? Sorry, property taxes in St. Pete or property insurance in St. Pete? 
Oh, Joshua, we kind of lost the phone there, but I think you said insurance. Uh, Mary Ellen, uh, that was one of the uh, big economic issues, and a lot of Floridians opening those envelopes for new premiums. Uh, the legislature couldn't muster enough advocates to really tackle the home insurance market here in the state of Florida this session. I have to say that it was uh, very interesting to watch. In the span of two, the two-month session, we saw at least two insurers drop out of the state. Um, when there are fewer companies available to provide insurance to Floridians, the cost for everybody else starts to rise. Mm-hmm. Um, and so while that was happening, l- legislators repeatedly acknowledged that their c- constituents were concerned about the rapiding, rapidly rising cost of property insurance rates in Florida. And yet, a bill that actually really would have had a small impact on it, not even a significant impact, but a small impact that stalled in the final days of session and was unable and they were unable to get it across the finish line. So um, it's quite remarkable that a pocketbook issue as essential as something like property taxes was not addressed by legislators as we enter into um, a hurricane season again yeah. in, the, in a few short months. Yeah, a uh, big pocketbook issue here in Florida. And as uh, Gary Finout, a political reminder, this also a, an election year here in 2022. 305-995-1800, Republican, Democrat, NPA, doesn't matter. Uh, 305-995-1800, talking about the Florida legislative session, the significant focus on social and cultural issues on the governor's agenda. Don't say gay bill, what uh, uh, opponents of that bill called that piece of legislation, the anti-woke legislation. That's what the governor called uh, his efforts there uh, regarding race-related subjects taught in public schools, abortion restrictions also passing out of the legislature, all this sitting on the governor's desk all significant legal issues that may, in some cases, face legal challenges. Carolina Bellato is with us, senior reporter for Law 360. Carolina, welcome back to the program. Thanks for sharing some reporting with us. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, Several of these bills are expected to be tested in state and federal courts. What kind of judicial environment would they be entering in terms of the judiciary? I think we can definitely expect this to happen. There, there will there will absolutely be challenges, um, and this is always happens with controversial laws like this. Uh, I, I expect the, I mean, uh, I expect these challenges to be filed largely in federal court, where um, they're going to face pretty very conservative Eleventh Circuit um, at Court of Appeals, uh, and it, it's going to be a bit difficult because. There are some cons- potential constitutional problems with particularly the Don't Say Gay Bill and the Stop Woke Act, but um, it's not clear cut. And that's largely because of the fact that both of these play out in the school environment where the government actually has a lot of latitude uh, to regulate speech um, and, uh, and control curriculum. Hmm. Uh, Junior sends us this tweet, uh, Carolina. They should be challenged in court. First, a party that claims it wants government out of its members' lives. Republicans do a good job of using the government to push their agenda. Uh, So shares Junior on at Florida Roundup on Twitter. You can share your thoughts as well. Uh, Carolina, uh, where are the vulnerabilities for some of these pieces of legislation that uh, that opponents are are taking a uh, taking a close look to? So I think the most obvious thing is is 
the First Amendment. Uh, but as I said, because it's in the school context, it's a little bit difficult, um, especially like teacher speech, because teachers are acting as government employees in the classroom, their speech is highly regulated. And student speech has been regulated a um, fair bit in the past. It's not a carte blanche, but it's going to be a difficult road. Um, what I've, what attorneys have told me is that the 14th Amendment might be a slightly better avenue of attack um, for both of these laws. Uh, the Equal Protection Clause in particular of the 14th Amendment, mm-hmm. um, you know, you can make an argument that the, the Don't Say Gay Bill is uh, singling out a group, in this case, any LGBT, LGBTQ students or teachers or students who have, you know, gay parents, for example. Um, you're, you're not allowing them to have the same conversations that others might be able to have, like, say, uh, a kid talking about going on vacation with their same-sex parents. Um, and then it puts a teacher in a spot, like, what because the, the 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 law bars instruction right. of sexual orientation, gender identity, but what is instruction? If a, if a kid says, "I went to Disney World with my two daddies," what does a teacher right. <laughs> right. can a teacher follow yeah. up on that? Right? Yeah. <laughs> what what big, is considered instruction? <laughs> big questions for parents, for teachers, uh, for administrators, certainly. And Mary Ellen, uh, just that issue uh, had been brought up during the uh, the debate of uh, that piece of legislation regarding family tree exercises, which are, you know, very mm-hmm. common projects for early elementary school students. And if a if a student has uh, has uh, uh, parents of the same gender, how does that discussion uh, run into or intersect this new piece of legislation that Governor DeSantis is likely to sign into law? Well, there's been a lot of uh, criticism on the right and from Republican legislators that this bill doesn't doesn't once mention the word gay or ban its use. But there is a provision in here that is very broadly written, and it basically says that um, it ban in addition to banning teacher led instruction about sexuality or gender between kindergartners and third grade, it also applies to anything that is not considered age appropriate or developmentally appropriate for other students that that broadly written um you know prohibition yeah then opens up the opportunity for a teacher or, or for a parent to file a claim against a school district and potentially you know seek sanctions or even a lawsuit damages that seems to me to be um, something that has the the potential to uh, restrict speech, um, and and that you know we will we will see how this plays out. But I I do think that even though it doesn't mention the word gay, there is a you know tacit understanding that 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 is limiting that discussion. Carolina, pick up on Mary Ellen's point there. Uh, the 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 actual language in the law uh, contrasted with the application of the law, right? The word gay may not appear in this particular piece of legislation. Sexual orientation is a phrase that certainly appears in this piece of legislation. Yeah, I mean, she's actually she's absolutely right. Um, and I think that's one of the things that um, that that advocacy organizations that oppose these these bills are are looking at what kind of chilling effect could this have when it's um, you can challenge a, a law on vagueness grounds as well. And this is one of the things like what is um, 
developmentally appropriate? What, what, what do we, what is it, how is a teacher supposed to know this? So, and, and a lot of cash strapped school boards are really not going to want to risk anything at all. I mean, the, under the, the law, well, the bill, it's not a law yet, right. but under the bill, as you said, a parent can sue and for damages um, and collect legal fees as well. And uh, we know how quickly those can add up. So um, yeah, school boards are going to act uh, appropriately, I think, yeah. and, and possibly probably ban any type of this instruction in, in all grades, not just K through three, third grade. Which is specified in the piece of legislation. Right. Yeah. Deborah right. sends us right. a tweet at Florida Roundup. Issues impacting average Floridians were not addressed during the session. Kitchen table concerns like affordable housing, insurance, fixing the unemployment system were not addressed. Individual freedoms were attacked and diminished, writes Deborah to us at Florida Roundup. Eddie listening in in St. Pete. Eddie, thanks for your time. You're on the radio. Go ahead. Well, I don't want to beat a dead horse, uh, echo the things uh, that were just said. What frustrates me is that with the Democrats, and I'm a Democrat, um, so I don't know who I'm preaching to here, but, you know, Democrats don't highlight these things. The, the, the state of Florida, wages, insurance, rental properties, buying a home. Uh, I heard today that we have the most polluted lake in the country, in the state of Florida. Um you know, things like that. But yet we still continue to 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 elect Republicans. And it's I think that Democrats don't go on the offensive enough and highlight these things. Now, my wife's been a teacher since 1985. She had 10 years that she uh, almost 10 years that she left teaching in the private sector to make as quick as possible. And then she went back in and the curriculum. Uh, she's never talked about any of these things that they're talking mm-hmm. about. She teaches the curriculum that that, that our Republican uh politicians create and and you know she's sitting there telling me that they don't teach um writing they don't teach uh, um punctuation grammar uh they don't teach any of that stuff anymore there's a certain way they teach but you know so here's another thing i think the republican politicians want to make it so and i just believe this they want to make it so that public schools are a are a failure or make it difficult on them, and then they can blame it on the unions and the teachers. I mean, it, it just goes on and on, the things you hear, and then when you talk to somebody that's in the profession, and they have no um, say in what gets done. But Eddie, anyways, I, I, frust- I appreciate the appreciate. I can hear the frustration there, and thanks for uh, for that uh, that comment there from St. Pete, Republican Democrat, NPA. Same phone number that Eddie called three zero five nine nine five eighteen hundred. Gary, find out just about thirty seconds or so. So I know it's a tight answer, but to Eddie's first point though about Democratic voices raising these economic issues, uh, is that something for Democrats to run on? Uh, in yeah. the upcoming and, session. And Democrats, I think Democrats have been trying to raise the issue. Uh, as a matter of fact, just as we were speaking, uh, Miami Beach uh, Mayor Dan Gelber just sent out a tweet and a letter calling on Governor DeSantis to call out a special session on, on homeowners insurance. Mm. Um, and Charlie Crist and, uh, has ha- had a whole campaign platform dealing with these pocket bush issues. Uh, so there was a lot of debate during the by Democrats that uh, that they were complaining that other issues were not being talked about as much. So the Democrats are talking about it somewhat. It's just not, you know, cracking through because frankly, all the attention is being paid to 
these other things. And uh, Democrats simply don't have the numbers when it comes to uh, the state legislature. Gary Finout, stick with us. Mary Ellen Kloss uh, and Carolina Bellato, three powerhouse journalists here as we take a look at the Florida legislative session. More of your phone calls coming up here as you're listening to the Florida Roundup from Florida Public Radio. Welcome back to the Florida Roundup here on Florida Public Radio. Thanks for listening and supporting public broadcasting in your community. I'm Tom Hudson. My co-host Melissa Ross is off this week. A number of high-profile bills await Governor Ron DeSantis' signature, bills that govern teaching about sexual orientation in schools, how companies conduct training around racial issues at work, and limits protests outside people's homes. One bill would allow companies to sue local governments if a local ordinance cuts into their profits by 15% or more. And then there's the inevitable court fight coming over political boundaries here in the Sunshine State. Republican, Democrats, NPAs, regardless of that party affiliation, we want to hear from you. 305-995-1800. 305-995-1800. You can hit us up on Twitter. We're at Florida Roundup. Marilyn Klaas still with us. Miami Herald Capitol Bureau Chief. Gary Finout covering the Capitol for Politico. And Carolina Bellato is senior reporter for Law 360. Uh, before we get into the redistricting issue, I'm just wondering, Mary Ellen and Gary, what presence did COVID have during this legislative session, the second session of this pandemic? Mary Ellen? Well, I'm eager to hear what Gary thinks about this. Number one, um, there were a handful of legislators who were out because of COVID. There was also almost no restrictions. I mean, there were no restrictions. Nobody wore masks. There was no, there, there was um, a lot of, uh, you know, when it comes to the physical uh, questions about COVID, there was a lot of staff hired in the Capitol to wipe everything down. We saw that a lot. Mm -hmm. There were committee rooms where people were, where they had um, signs on seats that you were supposed to sit socially distanced. But that's the extent of how they, adapted it. As far as COVID, as it relates to COVID policy, um, you know, I'm eager to hear what Gary has to say, but I, I think it did come in the form of the backlash um, that we heard from people who, who no longer want any restrictions. Mm. So there were limits on things like um, there was a punishment for school districts that had imposed um, uh, mask mandates and vaccine requirements against the governor's wishes. So they got a, they got punished in the budget, um, those 15 school districts. There, there were other policy initiatives that happened. Gary, how about from your perspective? Well, from my perspective, I got COVID a week oh. into the session. Oh so. my gosh, I hope you're okay. No, I, I, I am okay now, Very good. but uh, to, to Mary Ellen's point, I, I, I'm not suggesting I know where I got it, but I was down at the Capitol the first week of session, and then I came down with COVID. Um, as did a lot of there were there were several law, legislators, as she noted, and staff and other people, uh, and a couple other members of the press who also got it. But in terms of policy, there was a uh, they dealt with a COVID liability bill, which extended the, the liability protections, uh, uh, particularly as it applies to healthcare providers and nursing homes, that law had sunset, was going to sunset. They extended that provision. That was one of the big things. And then, of course, as what she was noting, is they kind of watered down the proposal in the end uh, on, on school districts. But essentially, you have uh, uh, 
school districts that had mass mandates will not be able to partake of school recognition dollars, uh, which is kind of interesting. School mm-hmm. recognition dollars, not to go too far into the weeds, that's a part of the Jeb Bush legacy, and that was that's money that's supposed to go to schools that uh, have you know show improvement in academic performance, and now they're they've retailered it to have uh, you know an impact regarding policy on on masks. So there were elements there. Uh, let's not forget that the legislature held a special session late last year in November, where they right. adopted a bunch of uh, bills. Yeah, yeah, uh, right. They, they you know, outlawed uh, vaccine requirements for employment. They outlawed in law uh, vaccine requirements for customers, those types of things. Um, is it fair to say, though, Gary, perhaps the most prominent place where COVID showed up is in the state budget in terms of federal COVID relief dollars coming into Florida? Oh, well, without a doubt. I mean, the last two years, there has been an influx of billions of dollars of federal aid that has come through the the two main legislative uh, relief packages crafted by Congress. And this has given them a great deal of flexibility. Um, You know, it's it's it is correct to note that because of the economy and the rebounding of Florida's economy, that the ability of the government to collect in more money than they had anticipated has give has also contributed this right. but it, it's been but they they've uh, they've never had this much money yeah. they've never <laughs> been this flush yeah. yeah and 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 they were able to stick you know just i think that i think the figure is for, uh, of general revenue not the whole budget but general revenue they now have a 22% reserve heading into the into the next year yeah yeah a significant amount of dollars in terms of those federal COVID relief dollars. For those of you playing civics at home on this edition of Florida Roundup, those are non-recurring revenue dollars. So there you go. Fill in that bingo uh, chip if you had that one. Uh, Theodos has been listening in. Theodos on line five. Thanks for calling. You are on the radio. Oh, thank you very much. I'm honored to be able to speak. But listen, it's ironic to me that the governor started the, the session talking about Florida being the freest state in the country yet uh during the session they passed legislation to the contrary uh i would like to see eventually in our country in particular our state that we get to governing see when we start focusing on the next election and the next election and republican versus democrat at some point we have to govern uh so i'd like to see our uh, legislators be more focused on governing and let's not worry about it. I know I'm naive to say that, but let's not worry about the next election. Let's govern the best we can for the people while we're there. Theodos, I appreciate you uh, expressing that sentiment. I remember uh, quite a while ago, one U.S. representative telling me that the next election begins the day after the previous election day. Uh, but to his earlier point, Mary Ellen, in the governor's State of the State address in January, opening up this session, he described Florida as, quote, a free state. Critics were pretty quick to ask, free for whom? Uh, and Theodos kind of put a little bit of voice to that free state characterization. How did that carry through the legislative session? Well, the free state of Florida is a slogan. Um, and, you know, when you look at the government, you know, Florida legislators didn't stay out of people's lives. They They didn't let people do whatever they want. They came in with 
you know, some pretty strict um, new legislations. They banned abortions after 15 weeks. They, um, you know, imposed some uh, new restrictions on assembly. You can't, you can no longer, uh, you know, have a protest in front of a university president's home or a, uh, or the governor's mansion because those are considered residential areas. You know, there, there was just, um, in addition to the restrictions that they they have on putting uh, on as discussion in classrooms as it resents as it relates to gender identity and sexual orientation they also impose new sanctions on what's acceptable speech as it relates to um historic wrongs mm-hmm. uh, you know we, we we've talked about the the um critical race theory discussions and and things that relate to um anything that in their words would make somebody feel um guilty either if guilt a, or if anguish a, guilt or it? anguish is the is yeah. the words right and and that even they even impose that on private businesses yeah. so that if an employer is training for diversity if some employee feels uncomfortable or guilty then that may be a cause of action for them to sue. Yeah, I want to bring Carolina into that piece of this discussion. Carolina Bellato, senior reporter for Law 360. Uh, this this effort, uh, as as the the governor calls the anti woke legislation, not only addressed uh, public schools, but did talk about, as Mary Ellen mentioned, private companies and restricting private companies from certain types of potential employee training instruction. How does that intersect then, you know, in in kind of that legal community and uh, lawyers, advocates, and even even some of those judges that may sit in judgment of of these laws if they're challenged? Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen any case law directly um, on point for that, but my my understanding would be that that a, a private company would certainly have a very good case to make there uh, on on first amendment grounds as we said you know tricky first amendment cases with schools and public institutions and things like that but um private companies definitely uh would have a very good first amendment case and as would i mean with the sop woke act um I believe I, I'm not entirely clear, and I don't know if Mary Ellen or Gary know this, but it, it, it mentions it throughout this, the um, law. It says K through 20 education, uh, which which would I mean, in my is my understanding that that applies to like graduate school as well. So um, universities, if this applies to universities, that's also a a big problem because there is a, a longstanding principle of academic freedom. And, um, and and certainly professors would have a very good uh, case to to challenge any restriction on them teaching critical race theory. Uh, Gary, Mayor Ellen, any any insight into that piece of the uh, woke legislation? Well, um, uh, uh, two things. The, the one bill, uh, it, it you know, not to get again too far into the weeds. It's interesting <laughs> is that there's a cause of action in the bill that deals with. Uh, uh, classroom instruction dealing with sexual orientation and gender identity. Right. They did not put that specific cause of action in the other bill uh, uh, dealing with race. Uh, however, they did add it to the anti-discrimination laws, which allows would th- potentially allow people to take action under that. But what's interesting is that, and it, it got it didn't get a lot of attention until the very last minute. They also put language in the implementing bill 
uh, or one of the implementing bills dealing with colleges and 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 how they deal with some of this stuff. And so, uh, I think that there is, uh, you know, there are some people who are watching that very closely to see how it does affect universities. You know, it is interesting as we were just noting, um, as it's been reported, you know, that there was at least a lower court, a lower federal court ruling related to the whole business with the U- University of Florida professors who were initially blocked from testifying right. at a trial. And the initial uh, policy that the University of Florida came out with, that initial policy has been blocked by a federal judge. Now, that judge is an Obama appointee and and what have you, and I don't know where this is all going to wind up. But uh, to the point, yes, I mean, you've already got some litigation in this area of what exactly can you do with professor, university professors? A couple of tweets here. Charles tweets us, so no more mandatory sexual harassment and diversity training for state employees and legislators then? under the uh, anti-woke legislation. I also have a note here uh, uh, asking, what damages would a parent suffer if a teacher mentioned the existence of same-sex marriages? Share your thoughts at Florida Roundup on Twitter, Republican, Democrat, NPA, doesn't matter. Same Twitter handle for everybody. Same phone number for everybody here in Florida, 305-995-1800, 305-995-1800. You're listening to the Florida Roundup from Florida Public Radio. Bob's listening in in Fort Lauderdale. Bob, you uh, will be up next, but first, Carol in Tampa. Hi, Carol. Thanks for holding on. You're on the radio. You're very welcome. I'm glad to have a moment to be able to join this. I love your uh, information that comes out. Thank you very much. Um, we, we love that you have your listening. We love to t- speak with you now. Go ahead, Carol. Okay. I've been a psychotherapist for 45 years. I'm 75. I grew up in Hillsborough County. I remember how backwards things were in the 40s when I was born and how progressively there was a little bit more understanding about sexual education, but none of it came from home as far as I remember. And I think there's a way of including those things like the wonderful little book called Where Did I Come From? that's for four, five, and six-year-old kids. It doesn't go into explicit things of any sort. And the one that's out for puberty, that is what's happening to me, explaining why things look different. And we can do that in school. My teacher's been teaching special ed kids for the last 20 years. We're very committed to doing things that don't harm children, but we need to let our children be educated as well. Our teachers are amazing, and we need to to support them and fund them. Carol, thank you very much for sharing that perspective and a couple of book recommendations there from Carol in Tampa. Bob in Fort Lauderdale. Bob, I said you would get to you next, and here we are. Great to have you, Bob. Go ahead. Hi. Uh, when I watch Ron DeSantis, I feel like I live in 1922 instead of 2022. And when it comes to these two bills, the anti-gay and the anti-woke, my question is, don't they cut both ways? For example... Being straight is a form of sexual orientation. Can't a gay couple sue the Board of Education saying that teaching just about straight is harming their children or upsets their children? And can't black parents go in and sue the board saying teaching a whitewashed version of history makes my children uncomfortable? They could literally bring education to a standstill in this state, which would be, I think, a very good thing given the racist and bigoted things DeSantis is doing. Bob, you bring up some fascinating points. Uh, Mary Ellen, Gary, uh, was that kind of turning the tables uh, uh, strategy that Bob has articulated here? Is is that part of the debate discussion leading up to the votes with these pieces of legislation? You know, it's really a a point of view I have not heard 
raised by the opponents. Um, now, it's possible that that has been part of the debate um, along the way. Um, the notion that you can sue a school board, um, you know, these decisions about what is in a curriculum are are broadly made. And there have been, there there is the possibility that, you know, that there has been or litigation relating to to curriculum in the past, but when it comes to individual, you know, instruction from a teacher, right. um, that that has not been a cause of action opportunity before. And so, I think Bob raises a very good point. Um, what 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 direction could it go? Yeah, uh, Ian asks uh, uh, the question uh, on Twitter. Uh, I've heard of a phenomena in the U.S. Congress called the Shadow Congress. Bills passed with strong bipartisanship that easily sail through with little media coverage. Uh, Ian asks Gary. I'll put it to you. Are there any examples of this happening in Florida? Uh, bills passing with strong bipartisanship during this session. Oh yeah, there, there, there. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, first more was the was the budget, the overall <laughs> yeah. one hundred and twelve billion dollar budget. <laughs> I think there was maybe a total of three or four total no votes out of one hundred and sixty legislators. So everybody was on board with the uh, uh, with the budget. Uh, there were some other bills that got through with Democratic backing and, and wouldn't have even made it. Uh, there was a bill dealing with uh, presidential and uh, community college uh, searches for mm -hmm. presidents. Mm -hmm. That bill required a supermajority vote, and that bill got a supermajority as both Democrats and Republicans uh, joined on on closing uh, part of the search process. So th those from are just public two review, examples. right? Shield shielding some of the early searches for these right. academic leaders from public review, right? Right. Coming just in time for uh, for for you all uh, down in South Florida. Right. The yeah. there, there are several down here. Indeed. Uh, Gary, stick with us. Gary, uh, find out with Politico. Mary Ellen Klaas with the Miami Herald are going to stick around. Carolina Bellato, senior reporter for Law 360. Carolina, thanks for joining us and sharing your legal affairs reporting with us. Much appreciated. Thanks for having me. we got Take plenty care. more to come and your phone calls as well. We'll talk about politics this year and the legislative session and redistricting. It's next on the Florida Roundup from Florida Public Radio. We're back on the Florida Roundup here on Florida Public Radio. Thanks again for listening this week. I'm Tom Hudson in Miami. My co-host Melissa Ross is off. The economy and jobs consistently rank as the highest concerns for voters, according to surveys. State lawmakers spent relatively little time discussing these issues in Tallahassee over the past couple of months, dominating the agenda and the headlines, social issues, including abortion and what supporters call parents' rights. The focus comes in what promises to be a contentious and pivotal political year in Florida and nationwide. So how will these issues influence your vote? What do you want your elected officials to focus on when they're in office? 305-995-1800. Red, blue, no color at all to your politics. We want to hear from you. 305-995-1800. At Florida Roundup is our Twitter handle. Mary Ellen Klaas, Miami Herald Capitol Bureau Chief, still with us. Gary Finout covering the state capitol for Politico, also still along. All right, uh, Mary Ellen, stake out the different sides when it comes to the redistricting debate. This is a fascinating and complex uh, debate that uh, uh, we have every 10 years, and it tends to go on for many years afterward before it finally gets settled. But this year, particularly contentious amongst Republicans. Right. We, ha we have a Republican governor and a Republican-controlled co uh, legislature. 
the House and Senate um, have kind of positioned themselves to try and appease the governor. The governor has taken probably the most publicly active role we have seen a governor take in 40 years in terms of redistricting. And um, it's very clear the governor is interested in creating a map that pretty much um, throws uh, a grenade into the fair districts amendments that voters passed in 2010. Um, he wants that. He wants those obliterated. He believes that there's been federal court rulings that undermine the premises of establishing standards based on um, protecting minority voting voting rights. And so he wants that diminished. The, the legal opinion from the House and Senate is different. They're not quite sure that is a foundation on which they can stand. So they have put together a map that they think gives the governor, he, well, they're giving him two options. Yeah, yeah. And, and not giving, and the governor has said he's going to veto it. So that's where we are. So that's where we are. The clock is ticking, meantime, Gary Finout, on the political uh, season. Uh, the congressional districts are really what the focus is of this infighting, so to speak, amongst Florida Republicans. Uh, game out some of the scenarios uh, in the spring and summertime ahead. Well, uh, it's important to, yeah, as you noted, the, the deadlines that are looming, basically qualifying is supposed to occur in June. And so that's sort of, you know, out there as to that's when everybody is supposed to formally uh, qualify for the ballot. What we have right now is uh, an interesting situation where uh, the specifics, the technical elements of this are, are kind of important. The, 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 the legislature passed a redistricting map. They haven't sent it to the governor. So the governor can't veto it until it's sent to him. And yet they haven't sent it to him yet. And so once he vetoes it, then theoretically we could have a special session or not. I, But we have lawsuits that have been filed right. where they're asking the courts to get involved. Now, there is some indication or some some you know observers speculate, well, a court's not really going to want to step in until the, uh, the veto has happened. But uh, like I said, so it's just this weird limbo that's kind of going on. And what's interesting about it from a political dynamic is you've seen it really come to play on the Democratic side because you have several seats in Florida that could theoretically be competitive, but you, you have Democrats who sort of have held off and have, have not committed because they're sitting there like, well, where are those lines going to wind up being for the, some of these congressional seats? I mean, you know, for the ones that are not changing demonstrably in terms of where they are. But 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 look at what's just happening even with the, the North Florida seat, mm -hmm. the seat held by Al Lawson. Clearly, if that seat were put in place and it didn't have Tallahassee and uh, Gadsden County in it anymore, Al Lawson, an incumbent, that might be a very difficult thing for him to win, even if it becomes a, a, a minority access seat in Jacksonville. So it's just that's part of what's interesting is that you, you have people's political fortunes are sort of just – 
in the air right now. In limbo and uh, some voters on the edges of these boundaries. As we know in Florida, if it's a 1% race on election night, that is a Florida landslide. So every vote in these districts certainly can count. 305-995-1800. Our nonpartisan phone number, our partisan phone number, doesn't matter what stripe you are here in Florida, we want to hear from you. 305-995-1800. Talking about the legislative session, what law Lawmakers did and did not do with Gary Fine out of Politico, Mary Ellen Kloss with the Miami Herald. Rebecca has been listening and being very patient in Jacksonville. Rebecca, great to hear from you. You are on the radio. Thanks. Um, so I share some of the same frustrations as other callers in um, the issues that didn't get dealt with. It just seemed like the legislature, um, you know, we're, we're looking for solutions to problems that just don't exist. And now I'm very, very worried about skyrocketing rent. I'm a renter here in Jacksonville and others in our apartment complex. My lease is up at the end of May. Mm-hmm. Others here whose leases were up earlier, their rents are going up by um, $300 a month. And that's, you know, that's substantial. And so I'm very worried about what I'm going to do when my lease is up, assuming my, my rent is going to go up that high. You know, I'm even considering going, you know, moving to Kentucky where my family is, where the rents are much cheaper. And they didn't do anything about that. And it's an enormous problem here that affects so many people, voters, you know, Republicans and Democrats alike. They did do that bill that um, about the uh, deposits, security deposits, where, you know, you can charge, you don't have to charge a huge security deposit. You can do a month-to-month thing, but that's non-refundable. Right. And um, it's just like another way for land, uh, landlords to, to make money, you know, rather than something to help renters. Rebecca, so. I appreciate you giving voice to this issue about rents in Florida. Rebecca, joining us here from Jacksonville on the Florida Roundup from Florida Public Radio. Andrew has been uh, patient on line 12. Andrew, uh, rent's also a big issue for you, I take it? <laughs> They're well, they're like the past caller. Uh, basically, it's pricing people out of the market. And uh, in my case, I had a, a home that I owned, and I was a low low mortgage, but we had a house fire, mm. and the insurance uh, is in limbo because they're contesting whatever for whatever reason. I can't even afford to rent an apartment on my social security. I'm at a an extended stay hotel and. I talked to some of the neighbors. I'm not the only one. There's a family that lives next door to me that lost their home because of the variable interest rate, which hasn't been mentioned, but is also a problem Mm -hmm. with the increase in in prices. And they're now living in an extended stay hotel because it's the only thing they could afford. It's not just the rent to month. It's the fact they can charge enormous fees to, you know, get cleared and get into it. And I didn't hear anything from Tallahassee yeah. uh, on this issue. That was a problem for me. Andrew, thank yeah. you for lending voice. Best of luck uh, to you and your family, Andrew, and to Rebecca in Jacksonville earlier. Uh, Gary, find out, uh, Mary Ellen Kloss, I'm a relative newbie to Florida, only here 12, 13 years uh, compared to uh, the long uh, 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 tenure that each of you have. But I have to tell you, this was the first year that I've seen affordability, home affordability, really be a statewide issue. Uh, it, it had been kind of concentrated in South Florida with high rents, high property values. But but this year we really saw it from voters and from voices across the state talk about affordability challenges. 
Well, I, I would note, and 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 Mary Ellen and I went through this. Uh, there was a period in the mid two thousands, especially after all the hurricanes hit. Right after all four and, and, and five. Fact, the, and the 2006 election really reflected had a lot to do with property insurance and property taxes, but but the net was the same. It was it had to do with affordability. Uh, I, there is an argument to be made that uh, even though they are run starkly different philosophically, it, it, Florida seems to be in many ways going down the same path that California went in terms of the affordability and 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 whether or not it's becoming too expensive to live in paradise. And, and the question is, when will that become something that uh, gets a critical mass that causes the political environment and the political dynamic to change in Florida? Hmm. And I think that's what we have to watch in, in the months and years to come. And so, I, so it has kind of surfaced from time to time, but without a doubt, it has really come very hard this year. And, and you know, Governor DeSantis got kind of asked about this earlier this week. And he put part of the blame on the rent moratorium char uh, that was put in place by the CDC during right, the pandemic. Right. Uh, but there's no doubt. The eviction it, moratorium, I think it was. Yeah, the eviction right. moratorium. He was suggesting that landlords were trying to recapture money that they had not been able to get during, mm. the, during the time that that was in place. And um, so, but in terms of a, a policy, a, 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 a complete overarching policy, at this point in time, I mean, the one thing that the legislature did do is they uh, they are putting forth some proposals to lower the property tax burden for certain types of professions in the state, yeah. which is actually something that has kind of has actually been in place in several other states. But again, uh, it, it would appear to me that affordability uh, in Florida living here is going to be uh a continued and persistent issue uh, for this year and years to come. Mary Ellen, just 30 seconds left, but uh, how big of a role do you think affordability could play as we move into the uh, fall election cycle? I think it's a crucial issue. And I, and I think the choices, you know, maybe the post post uh, legislative reporting will focus on some of the choices they made, which includes um, allowing money for people to, who are in, um, first responder professions and so forth to have down payments on their homes, mm -hmm. but not, but using money that would have gone to rental assistance to do that. Mm -hmm. So it's almost as if they're favoring one group of people who can, who have enough money for a down payment. I think it's going to continue to be a, a very, uh, raw issue Indeed. Uh, going through. Mary Ellen Kloss, Capital Chief at the uh, Miami Herald in Tallahassee, Gary Finout with Politico. To uh, each of you, thanks so much for sharing all the reporting and experience with us here on The Roundup. Appreciate it. Thank you. Our program you. is produced by WJCT Public Media in Jacksonville and WLRN Public Media in Miami. Alyssa Ramos is the producer. Catherine Hobbs is the associate producer. Richard Ives answers the phones. I'm Tom Hudson. Have a great weekend and thanks for listening.